Hello and welcome to On the Corner, the official podcast of PitcherList.com. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined on this long weekend uh, by Nick Pollock. Nick, you, are you still loving long weekends? What is happening? What is a long weekend? You know what a long weekend is. What is a extra, weekend? It's my favorite day. line from <laughs> Downton. I, I mean, I, this wasn't a long weekend for me. This was uh, me working on a design document all day Fair. and right in doing a mock draft in the morning, which is great. And I'm going to have another mock draft tomorrow. Nice. And then I got to write the, uh, the what's to watch for in spring training for starting pitchers, which I can't wait for. So, you know, I'm, long weekends. I'm, I'm writing that exact same article. So maybe we oh, should great. talk to each other about it. Well, I mean, so my process with it, I don't know if it is for you. I actually just list. It's like a mini top 400. Like I go through every single team and I just say every quick note I can think of of each of the guys of like, cool. Yeah, everything should be normal. Or like, hey, I want to see this guy at 94. Or I want to see this guy, if does he win the job, that kind of thing. So I just list every single player I can think of that has innate relevancy out of the gate. I do the same thing, but when my internal monologue says no, I just skip that guy. Like if there's nothing that I'm really watching for in particular, well, yeah. then I just, I just say it's no. It's why Ace is going to Ace exists, you know. Because I didn't want to sure. write anything about those guys for the roundup. So I wrote Ace is going to Ace, but I need to write something to know, let you know that I thought about him and I said, nah. Yeah. I think my I'm, uh, for my article, I'm going to be like, if it's if it's not anything I'm watching, I'm just going to leave it because I can't write a, about 400 pictures. Um, yeah. And I agree with you. It's not a it was not a long weekend. Um, that's one of the bigger things I noticed when I had a kid was long weekends don't don't exist because just <laughs> a, another day the kid's not in school and you're you're just, you know, trying to make every moment count in the in the winter when you can't get outside and there's still snow on the ground and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're, we're starting spring training hot. We've got a bunch of, um, players in the best shape of our life. We got a bunch of players who are sore. Uh, we've got John Carlos Stanton looking like a twig next to Aaron judge. Um, we've got, that was something else. Alex Verdugo with no facial hair. Uh, we just got a lot of interesting things that are coming down the yeah. pipeline. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of coming in the pipeline, I'm um, down the pipeline. Uh, the plus pitch podcast is going to be returning. I believe on Thursday morning, because if you guys don't know, every uh, spring training day, I post on Twitter the starting pitchers to uh, to watch on TV and what to look for. And what's really fun is, first of all, A, I can actually make it so it's like a long tweet now. I can like, cover everybody instead of the thing overloading, which is kind of nice. Um, but B, I then go on the Plus Pitch podcast the next morning to actually answer those tweets. Mm-hmm. Shazam! And I do it on stream uh, with uh, with everybody on playback.tv slash pitchless. So come hang out with me in the mornings as I record that podcast and watch over things and make sure we don't miss anything important. And uh, that's that's a fun thing that's happened because baseball season is back! Shazam! Back. Shazam! It, you know? it is back. Um, what also is back is the breakdown of Nick's top 400. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> it's so, so wrong already. <laughs> It is. There's some changes, um, and that's going to happen. Um, we're only a couple weeks away from uh, doing top 100 all over again with some with some changes. Um, yep. But it's important, even even if these players are going to change, um, it's important to just address them 
right now, just as pitchers, we're not really addressing um, immediate changes or things that are going on because it's still so early and there's so many things that could go on. I mean, I think like you and I both also talked about this on Twitter the other day where it's like, oh, this guy's got a new pitch and that guy's got a new pitch and this guy's got a new pitch. And it's like, great, but we haven't seen him throw it in anything resembling a live at bat um, or a game. And we don't know how often they're going to throw it and all that. So like, you're not, you shouldn't be making changes immediately no. the, right now. There are a couple of things like a Kyle Bradish situation. Yeah, right. And uh, a couple of things. One, Alex Tran, I cannot uh, thank him enough. He made a Google spreadsheet for our PL Plus Discord. Um, so if you have PL Plus or PL Pro, you get access to our Discord where there is a Google sheet that has all of the pitch changes and everything. We, and we keep track as a community, which is awesome. It's just one of those things that it should exist as a, you know, as yeah. a hive mind. And uh, we have this amazing community that helps make that happen. So uh, definitely check that out if you are a PL Plus or PL Pro member. And something I keep talking about with you inside of these wonderful DMs you send me. It's so great. I, I know I mentioned the last time, but like Eric sends me when there's anything new to note about a pitcher. It's awesome. And was the thing I commonly send back to you? Like... His fastball still sucks, or it doesn't yeah. matter, or that doesn't that won't help. Like, you know, there's always well, another the issue. One, the latest one is Spencer Strider throwing a curveball, apparently. And just mm-hmm. think about like, I, I mean, this is my whole thing about uh, starting pitchers is it's not about just oh they add something that's good. It's what is the story of them as a pitcher? What is their whole tactic and their right. approach? And Spencer Strider has this really good four seamers, really good slider, and he needs another true offering to get into the zone consistently. Think about the curveballs that you know of in the majors. There's really only like a handful of true game-changing curveballs. Mm-hmm. They're normally reserved as just show-me pitches that are under 10% thrown or they are more favored against lefties, but they're not really major pitches. Spencer Strider isn't lacking this like big thing against lefties like a slider still works against lefties it's fine he doesn't need to replace that with the curveball the curveball is not the thing that he needs he needs a cutter that is in between the velocity band of his slider and his fastball and he can get strikes with when they're sitting on his heater and he doesn't feel great about that slider in that moment like that's what he needs not a curveball i don't really know what it does for him much you posted something about the the splitter Right? Oh yeah. And, um Lance Parzowski has already um <laughs> talked about the fact that uh there's a lot of pitchers who apparently are, are throwing a lot of splitters and this will be the year of the of the splitter. Right. And your point was not to say anything negative about that. It was just saying like okay, a couple things for people to look at to think about when you're thinking about the splitter. I'm just going to talk about in general and then we will get to the yeah. pitchers on Nick's list cuz I think it's just important as we talk about these guys. What Nick was saying about the splitter the three points he made, I think, can be discussed with all different pitch types. For one, yes. when Nick was talking about the splitter, he said, "Does he already? Does the pitcher already have a high strike rate or strong command? Because the splitter is a tough pitch to command." So the first question you ask yourself with a new pitch is, "Is this is this pitch something that helps him helps his consistency? Right? right? Is it, does it um, fill a hole or a it, need? Yeah, does, does it fill a right. need that the pitcher has?" Does he have a good approach versus offhand batters but lacks a whiff pitch? That's the splitter thing. So does this, does it fill a need in the arsenal? Does it fill a need? The second question is, does it fill a need in um, issues with splits? Does it fill a need in handedness? Does it fill a need in um, swing and miss? 
right? And then you also said, can he earn, earn strikes with it? And then the other question is just like, is it good, right? Yeah, be the right. Last thing. Is it a good pitch? So does it fill a need? Does it diversify the arsenal in any way, shape, or form? Or is it right. basically a redundant offering in the sense that like, if you have a, if you, you know, you've got a great change up and then you're adding a great splitter. It's like, okay, so you do really, you're a right-handed pitcher. You do really well versus lefties. You have a pitch that gets lefties out. You're adding a pitch that is going to do well against lefties and maybe get lefties to swing and right. miss. Like it's what, what else, what is it giving you that's exactly. something different? Right. Um, and so you just need to ask that question. And I'm sure as we get into the rankings and all that stuff, you know, in the top 100, um, and when we start seeing guys pitch in spring training, like we'll have those conversations on here. But it's just important for people listening to to start to think about that, especially if you're somebody who's already doing early drafts and you're using this information to kind of like make those decisions. Is it's great that somebody's doing something new? It, that's cool. They're trying something. They're trying to change. They're trying to evolve. It doesn't automatically make them better, right? right. We, you need to see how it fits into the bigger picture. The uh, the way I like to think about it is. So there are so many examples of guys adding a slider that just doesn't work because, okay, Tyler Glasnow is my favorite one where his problem was he needed something confident to throw in the zone. That wasn't his fastball because his curveball always gets bounced. It's not a high zone pitch. It's a great put away pitch, but mm-hmm. he needs to get to two strikes and he can't just only do that with his fastball. So then he was learning a splitter. And I don't know if you guys remember this. He threw like 10% of the time or something like that. And so did Chris Archer, right? And both of those guys didn't it didn't work out for them. Why? Because those aren't strike pitches. Those are put-away pitches. If you don't have a put-away pitch, right. a splitter is a good option. This is why George Kirby learning a splitter, splitter is a great thing. It's why Nathan Eovaldi adding the splitter back then was a great thing. That's and like even Araldus Chapman, I hate to bring up his name, but he added a splitter because he has his well, fastball and that was really it. And the slider wasn't consistent. Like, yeah, a splitter is really good for that. Sure. And we talked about like, learning one. If it's better than his bad changeup, then yeah, that's a good addition. But if it's if you're giving it to a guy, Bryce Miller, where his failure, I mean, you could say, yes, he does need a put away pitch. And that actually might be a good fit for him. It's also something where I look at Bryce Miller and say, you're good against righties. You need a lefty strike earner, not mm-hmm. a lefty put away rate pitch first. And that to me is a cutter that he can get in the zone. I do think the splitter will help Bryce Miller. I do, but it's not the answer quite yet. Right. And, and that's it like could help Hunter Green, but I don't trust Hunter Green's command and I don't trust Bryce Miller's command. And that is the other added element. I trust Kirby's command. I trust Evaldi's command. I don't trust Bryce Miller's. And it might be a little tough for me to get to a point that it's a non volatile offer- offering for him. Yeah. And we talked about like Nate Pearson, who's probably no longer a starter. Right. But like he struggles with lefties. Adding a splitter makes sense yes. in that regard. If you yeah. are then adding a pitch that will help you against lefties, now we just have to see if it right. works. But those things, th- those are the this, questions. In the same vein, yourself. it's what Cole Reagans did. I know I got to bring him up on some podcast. So he didn't have a way to get out lefties. And then he learned his slider. And now he has a good pitch against lefties. Like that's that was the thing that he needed. And he filled that that hole for him because he didn't have a, a good solid pitch to go against him because he had to change him against righties. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of when you see these new pitches, really think: is this replacing something else? Is this filling a void or not? And right. understand which what pitch type generally speaks to what strengths and weaknesses. So, so again, I don't hate splitters. 
It's just about being a number two pitch because it's not a strike pitch. It should be a th- right. number three pitch as a put away offering. And, and uh, it's good to see that work. Like, look at Senga. Look, that's his number three. Ghost Fork is number right. three. Cutter is a number two. And that's the real magic of it. Yeah. So it, it's all about context. And you're going to see a lot of, hey, he learned a new pitch or, hey, he's leaning on a, a, a pitch more this year. Um, and I want to lean into that, too, because the first two guys we'll talk about are yes. examples of, of each of those. Right, uh, so. We are going 81 pitchers, 81 through 100 today. Um, again, this is all up on PitcherList, Nick's Top 400. It is now split uh, between, uh, split up in groups of 20. Um, so you can kind of like follow along with us as well. You can see the tiers we're talking about. Um, we're going to go through three tiers today. Um, and since we've just been talking about all of this, um, I want you to name the tiers after sports cliches. Oh, uh, man best shape of his life or you know we'll get him oh, next great. year or whatever yeah um so we're gonna start um i want to start lumping 81 and 82 together in a sense because i think people kind of look at them in a very similar way um well actually i'll, I'll, I'll go through all of them first but 81 is michael waka 82 is seth lugo um 83 braxton garrett 84 jameson tyone 85 john means business um, what is this tier called and why? And then I'm and then I'm gonna jump back in and ask you a question. The best offense is a good defense. Because these guys are just kind of not they're not trying to be the ones that cut throats. Like, no, we are tried and true and we we do our thing well that we we do. And that's it. Yeah. I love it. Also, because th- these guys all need a good defense would be that's true. Uh, yeah, that's true too. Another yeah. reason too. That phrase always bothered me, by the way. It's like, which do you mean? That I have a good offense, thus I have a good defense, or is it I have a good defense, thus I have a good offense? If you're just equating them, which one's the one that I have already? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now I'm just <laughs> gonna think about that for far too long. But thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so we're talking about uh we talked about pitchers who make changes. Uh Michael Waka's big change happened two years ago when he started leaning into the change up more. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has con- kind of continued to be very change-up dominant and has had a lot of success because of that. Um, Seth Lugo moved into the rotation um, and differentiated his breaking balls a little bit more last year, started playing with a sweeper, things like that. So he was trying to kind of reshape his arsenal as a starter. So these are two things where like, oh, these are guys who made changes and saw success in part due to those changes. Um, and that's kind of like my garbage segue from our our early starting point but of these guys who had decent success last year do you are you ranking them here because you feel like you just have to they're in rotations or do you kind of think that there's actually value in either of these guys well we're past the cliff of where i um we're past the cliff of like cool i'm i'm willing to go after upside and these guys to me aren't as safe as the ones that I would put in tier seven, I think it is, with like the Jordan Montgomery's and uh Verlanders and Bassett's and Merrill Kelly. So because they're a step down from this, I mean this is really my whole don't draft Toby's approach. Like their production in my head is too middling mm-hmm. that it's not worth it for me to chase this. It's more worth it to chase everything else in the other tier, uh, the other two that are higher ceiling guys, right? And might as well experiment with that because these guys won't push the needle that much. They will likely be rostered for most of the year on their respective teams. 
whoever has them in fantasy, someone's going to have Waka and just kind of like chill with him. But maybe he'll just have three bad starts. He'll be on the wire again. Maybe you'll pick him up for streams and all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you know, I don't really think he's going to be hinting like a three ERA and a 105 whip again. That kind of thing. I think uh, Waka's changeup is fantastic. And if he uses it more, um, that's only going to be a good thing. And as a fly ball pitcher, um, because he has, you know, what's, what's interesting about Waka is he does a Zach Gallon approach is what I call it, which is uh, you have a steep angle, but you have a lot of IVB, which is typical, right? You get more vert, the more like over the top you are. And that actually means that you should be trying to get low called strikes because they think it's going to fall out of the zone and it stays up. So he has a high called strike rate on the four seam, which is 21%. That's a 80th percentile. And that means that his changeup then is even nastier because they don't know if it's going to fall out or not, right? And then they just go fishing for all the time. And it's really like an Estrada changeup. This is a beautiful thing. So if we see more than like 35% changeups, probably closer to 40, 45%, honestly, from Waka, then like, yeah, this could very well work um, in uh, in Kansas City. And honestly, I like that changeup more than anything that Seth Lugo has, which is why I have Waka above Lugo. Uh, he has two good breakers. I mean, the curve was a big guy and the sliders slider can be good. I remember it showing up early last year and it kind of was there. Um, I just don't feel that Seth Lugo is electric enough. He doesn't really have that big change up to get him out of anything. Um, not to mention, I think that Waka has a little bit better command too. And there's, oh, there's a phrase I've been saying the past like week or so is that command is the market inefficiency. This is it. I like realize this. It's like when we, as fantasy analysts, it's so hard for us to truly quantify command, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I understand why stuff plus is the focus. It's, it stabilizes quicker. It's a lot more, you know, it's, it's a lot stickier and it's really just easy for us to say, yes, he has that thing while command can be very fluky at times. However, we also recognize that there are certain guys that do have elite command. They just are those elite command guys. And if we as fantasy uh, analysts can truly identify the guys who have sticky command and also recognize, hey, they have some electricity in their arsenal. Those are the that's the reason why like Wheeler popped off and uh, Gallon popped off and Alcantara popped off and so on and so forth. Like the guys that really excel are the ones that have command and then also have this other ceiling, right? Kirby, another example, Logan Webb. So Waka isn't, don't get me wrong, right? but we have to, I, I think we need to do, uh, uh, I mean, I need to really just sit down and be like, this guy is a command guy. Mm-hmm. And that creates a lot more inherent value than I think um, I have previously. Like I've, I've, I've faulted for chasing the shiny squirrels of stuff a ton <laughs> in the past. And I, I'm starting to realize that the, be able to actually say like look this guy is a true command arm is a very very valuable thing and we can identify that i think easier than um we think yeah and i think there's a time and a place for all of these types of pitchers right i think you and i have talked about how our analysis tends to um kind of focus more on like 12 team waka and lugo for me are like more 15 team viable and i i really enjoy them if you're in like a draft and hold format because yeah. these are the type of boring arms who probably are going to remain in their team's rotations, um, oh, not yeah. only because of lack of depth, but also because these are just veterans who 
I mean, they would have to really, really, really implode. Well, and they've been good pitchers. Is the thing well, for Waka. Sure. Um, yes. Lugo, not as much. Um, and like, there's nothing that is eye popping about these guys, but I just think they're really solid. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Lugo does with his slider when he comes into camp because he started throwing a sweeper um, over the summer. Um, he like introduced it a little bit in July, and then he was basically throwing the, the sweeper and a harder slider the same amount in August, and then he threw the sweeper more than the harder slider um, in September and October, and the harder slider like wasn't really all that good. Um and it was his fourth pitch to begin with. So it wasn't like, right. you know, you're not taking a major offering for him. But again, we've talked about the value of pitchers like this who are not overpowering if they have m- more pitches that they can throw for strikes or more pitches they can use, then that raises the floor a little bit. Um, and so if Lugo is throwing a better slider, if that sweeper is a better slider and he throws yeah. a better slider as his fourth pitch, then I'm like, okay, I think that makes him a touch safer because it gives him another thing to rely on in a in a game if something isn't working for him. So that's kind of one of my that will be in an article of something I'm watching for this spring. Oh it's my Lugo gosh. slider. Can't can't wait for that. And uh, yeah. And if you're saying Nick, well obviously having low walk rates, that's easy. That's command I'm like no 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 no. That's control. There are a lot of guys who are throwers who have control. Best example I can think of right now, Logan Gilbert. Um, that is not a command guy. That is a guy who just knows how to chuck a fastball over the plate. But he's not surgically uh, setting up guys and moving around the plate. Tanner Bybee is another one that has solid control, but is not a command guy. Mm-hmm. And it's really important. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a like a secret list of just who are these guys. Shoda Imanaga is one. Shoda, I'm telling you, if there's That's one so- thing, guys, from all of these podcasts. The guy to get, I mean, yes, Cole Reagans is one. I actually looked at my top 20. I was like, actually, you know, Reagans is the undervalued one that has the command that even though the 9.7% walk rate is going to say otherwise, get rid of like six walks. And like, because those were ridiculous walks of like when he was supposed to be pulled um, and you're set. But yeah, he is one, but Shoda 100%. I'm doing these draft and holds right now and I have a lot, I'm getting a lot of Shoda Imanaga. It's I, 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 because of a lot of because of what we've been talking about and looking back at him. But I'm, I'm everybody I'm, is going to yell at me with pitchforks, I'm sure. But I don't care. Uh, that is just where I'm at right now. Shota Minaga is the number one sleeper this year. It's Shota. Boom. You heard Done. it here. Like the, yeah. for the fourth time, I think. I know. But it's like really I'm just like leaning more and yes. more into this. It's just it makes yeah. all the sense in the world to me. Um, and we could have a much longer conversation about the things that we miss as, as analysts, I think, you know, pitch sequencing control, these are all things that are hard to quantify that make a pitcher good and why we miss on projections sometimes. But yeah, um, we'll go to some of these other names on the list. I want to lump uh, uh, two more guys in because yes. Braxton Garrett and John means both have um, some injury concerns, at least at the start of spring training uh, Braxton Garrett's uh, shoulder. He's battling some shoulder discomfort and, uh, we talked about it before we started um, recording. We read, you know, his tweet, which basically, or his um, interview was, was uh, then tweeted out, where he doesn't, he didn't have a shoulder injury last year. His shoulder just kind of like isn't loosening up as early, as quickly as it normally would, and so right. he's taking a little bit more time to stretch out his arm. This doesn't seem like an injury. It seems just like, you know. After an off season, he just wasn't. He didn't come in as loose um, as he did before. 
John Means um, is behind schedule. We know that not only is he coming off of an injury, but has had multiple injuries. And the Orioles have already basically said that he is very likely to start the year on the IL. Um, so as you're talking about these two guys, I just have, you know, you can talk about your thoughts on them as pitchers, but also whether this news matters to you at all for either guy. I mean, yeah, I am going to be pushing both back. Um, I, I, I there are, They are already guys I'm not really that interested in drafting. And now that there's any sort of ding against them, it's just why. Why do this in a 12-teamer? I mean, a 15-teamer, sure. You know, Braxton Garrett is a little more appealing, but you're not going to stash John Means. You know, I, I really don't think that's worthwhile uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was higher on Braxton Garrett than you were. Um, yeah. I, you, you know. Yeah, I have stats. I, I, I got stats, baby. I know you do. And, and also, higher on him, like I had him in my low 60s. You have him okay. in the 80s. I don't think either one of us is like, this is a guy you have to get. Um, but I think... I think the last two years has at least shown us a decent floor. Um, I think, you know, we talked about this on um, the podcast where we talked about um, Mitch Keller. Because for me, Mitch Keller and Braxton Garrett are similar in the sense that their early season success was uh, linked to the performance of a particular pitch that they then kind of lost as the year went on. Uh, it actually wound up being a, a cutter for both of them. Um, Braxton Garrett like really leaned into, he wasn't throwing a cutter at all when he started. Um, he leaned into it a lot like in May and June. Um, and it was a pretty good pitch for him. And at least when he first started throwing it, it was actually a good swing and miss pitch. And then he kind of stopped getting swings and misses with it. He lost feel for it, um, you know, continuously throughout the end of the year. Basically, July was terrible for the pitch. August was a little better. September was terrible. Um, and so it kind of lost the depth of the arsenal. Um, and you could see, you know, his worst months were when that pitch was performing poorly because he doesn't really have a lot else to fall back on other than the slider. Um, but it's a guy that I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued by in the sense that like he's still young, he's 26. Um, he's not an older pitcher. And I want to see if another offseason could help make that pitch a little bit more consistent because I think sure. if you're slider cutter sinker, now I'm starting to feel like, okay, like I could I see you as a safer floor. Like maybe you are a three eight, yeah. three nine yeah. RA pitcher. So so Braxton Garrett has six pitches. Okay. Sinker, yeah. slider, cutter are the main three. And then the changeup that used to be a little bit more involved was not last year, eight, 9%. Curveball, 8%. Four seamer, 7 to 8%. Do you know which one of these is the pitch that has an ICR rate under 41%? Um, None of them. No. No, I was going to say none no, of I, them. I, no, I don't. And I know all that, of them are above a forty-one percent ICR. ICR, of course, being ideal contact rate, you want to be at least under forty, if not under thirty-five percent in one of your secondaries, and that means batters are getting constantly good contact against him in all these pitches. This is why I don't think that Braxton Garrett, despite the four point four percent walk rate, is a good command guy. Mm-hmm. He's just throwing strikes a decent amount of the time. He has a seventy-three percent strike around the cutter. Uh, 68 uh, plus on the sinker. Like, it's why he had a near nine hit per nine. Uh, and that's not going to go away. Uh, 
I, I don't think the slider is and slider is by far away his best pitch, by the way. Right. From in my view, easily. I don't think the sinker is good enough. I don't think the cutter it had its moments. The changeup needs to get back to where it was. The slider sometimes disappears. And I don't I think that we're getting too um I've seen a lot of people be really upset. I mean, I remember actually like the October ranks. I had Braxton Garrett like 140 or something, but that's because it was uh he was grouped in like the 110 and beyond. Um, and it was just like, he didn't rank them. I just shoved them all there, but I never was in on Braxton Garrett because it was like one, it was like six weeks of being good last year. And that was really like a, the Valley of the season. And I mean, a Valley in like the wonderful Valley from land before time. So like, that's a good thing. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I just don't see Garrett as this consistent, like, cool. I'm totally going to get a three, six, six ERA and a one fifteen whip again and a 24% carry. Like, no, you are not going to get this for a I, debatably winning team yeah Ugh. i see him in a similar light not in terms of um his overall like upside but to me i i envision i'm gonna rank him kind of where i have lodolo um oh. in like okay i think the upside is there i think the upside is way higher for lodolo Right. Crowded rotation. So if the performance isn't there or the health isn't there, we're not guaranteed innings. Sure. Um, there are some there are some consistency issues. Yeah. There are yeah. some consistency issues with both of them. There is the ability for both of them to like flash usable results in essentially all league types. I I trust Lodolo more from a from a stuff perspective. I don't, from a health perspective, since he's apparently already still feeling pain in his Lodolo? shin. Yeah. Oh um, in his shin or his lower leg or whatever that was. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, I know Braxton Garrett is another guy like, oh, he's working on the changeup this, um, yeah. this spring. And like, cool, that would be great because I think the slider and the curve are like too similar to me in, in, mo- in movement profile um, mm-hmm. and, and what they accomplish. Where like, if he fixes the cutter and he is sinker cutter slider change uh, I, i'm like okay i can i can see how that works for hitters of both handedness i could see how he has some strike pitches some swing and miss pitches um but again you're you're looking at a real deep rotation with a guy who's getting a late start to spring and was had one real hot streak last year yeah, and so well, I, I, mean, I don't know that there's the security there here that people necessarily. Right, I I mean that. I am gonna push back thinking that Lodolo and Braxton Garrett are likely as long as they're starting and not being the worst things ever, they yes. are going every five days and that's fine. Lodolo uh, to me at least has like a much much clearer path to being to get past his humps of, um, I mean it's just health and being a Cincinnati right. Red, but like command wise, I actually would make the argument that I kind of trust Lodolo a little bit more. Why like I, actually execute? I like. I like Lodolo way more as a yeah. pitcher. I think si- there's the situations they find themselves in mm-hmm. are similar. Okay. It would not surprise me for Lodolo to start the year in Triple yeah. A no, if I, he's I not if he's not fully healthy. They signed um, all these other guys, um, right? But yes, I, I like Lodolo more. I'm just but, suggesting, uh, you know, we're, we're on the. I think we're good here. I we, we eighty four. Yes, 84 talk to me. You is James Tyone, but we're only 84. We already got to take a quick break. Sorry, guys. Goodbye. We'll be back. 
So you, you've talked a lot about Jameson Tyon. You obviously have that really great breakdown with him. Is there anything else you feel like you need to add? Um, or should we move well, to the next Well, I mean, year? there's a part of me that's like everything I'm talking about with command focus. Like, Jameson Tyon has really good command. He is a command guy. And there is some tinge of upside with him where it comes to adapting the slider because he, uh, if there's one takeaway that you should have from that conversation is, yeah, he has the tools. And... I was really encouraging him during that conversation. I felt like he understood it and he agreed is, Hey, yeah, I should be using my four seamer more as an attack pitch as opposed to uh, like a earlier count and pitch and kind of pitch backwards with it because he had a nine plus percent swing strike rate last year. However, it's should be doing better um, how he throws it. And it's ICR was so bad 53%, but it's because again, how he had to throw it. He also talked about abandoning his cutter as Tyon was doing the right things going up and in to lefties. And there, I think it was Brandon Marsh. He said hit a home run on like a perfect one. And that just lost all of his confidence in the cutter. And that's silly. That's just Brandon Marsh being ridiculous in a moment. And uh, he never really returned back to it until later on in the game in the year. And actually the start that we watched, he had his cutter working and it was beautiful. So he has the full arsenal. Now he has the missing pieces that he didn't have when he was a Yankee starter. And there is a lot of excitement for me in Jamison Tyone that actually has me likely pushing him up from 84 into the tier that with Aaron Savali, um, mm-hmm. obviously, because I talked to both of them. So there you go. But no, it's actually because Jamison Tyone has a very legitimate sweeper that he really embraced later on in the year. He has a cutter that's working better. He has a sinker to nullify righties now. He knows how to use it up inside. He knows what to do with his four seam. Like he actually understands. He really grasps his arsenal better than ever. And I very much feel that we're going to see a different Jameson Tyone in 2023. Sorry, 2024 than we did in 2023. So you're going to see him higher than 84, I'm sure. Um, when I do my update, which is actually like in a week and a half. It's coming It's coming oh. soon. Oh my gosh. Something like that? Yeah. I, I got to do it before I go to Florida. So for First Pitch Florida. And by the way, you should be at First Pitch Florida. I'm giving a presentation there. And uh, if you're still on the fence about it, it is such a fun time to go to spring training games. You get to hang out with people doing labor drafts. Like, trust me, we just want to talk to people then. So it's your moment to just hang out and have a good time and lovely weather and talk about baseball. You should do it. Sounds amazing. Luxurious. Yeah, right? It is. <laughs> uh, we're moving to tier 12, a little bit of a bigger tier here. Well, we've got starter number 86, Tanner Houck, 87, Charlie Morton, 88, Eric Fetty, 89, Trevor Rogers, 90, James Paxton, 91. Ricky Tiedemann, 92. Reese Olsen, 93. Garrett Whitlock, 94. Lance Lynn, and 95. Kyle Harrison. Uh, what sports cliche is this tier and why? It's three strikes and you're out because uh, you got to be quick on the hook here. Okay. You got to be like, look, if this is not going this way, then I'm done. All right. But, but they could also earn three strikes a lot. So uh, make sure that you're not forgetting about them in your drafts. So these are much more. Of the ones I think we're going to be monitoring in the spring. I mean, start with Tanner Houck. He doesn't have a pitch against lefties. Um, but I think the, I feel like the Red Sox are going to lean on him more than Whitlock. And that's at least how I see it at the moment. Um, because the weakness being against lefties, well, that's still decent against the majority of guys, sinker and, uh, and slider focus. Uh, he does have a splitter, but the thing is, he doesn't need a put away pitch for lefties. He needs a strike pitch that isn't a sinker or his sweeping slider. So <laughs> that's the problem. He does have a cutter uh, and it can be effective. And I hope that that becomes a solution for him. 
And it looks like a lot of the uh, the Red Sox, by the way, pitchers really leaned into cutters last year and like 90 mm-hmm. or so. And I love it. Like Cutter Crawford, no pun intended. Uh, Nick Pavetta did the same thing. And I hope it does work for Tanner Houck. It's something to monitor. If he does steal a job out of camp and has an offering against lefties, which again should be some major focus for him. Uh, there clearly is, uh, you know, ceiling there. I mean, it's a filthy pitch against right-handers. He doesn't have Chris Sale's changeup. It's not the splitter. So th- there's some fun there. Yeah, um, I I hear you. I lean more toward Hauk, or sorry, toward Whitlock getting that final or being I mean, the better bet. Either one, whoever spot, it is, and who knows? Yeah, they have my attention. Um, they do, and I I think that you know. I think the what the Red Sox do in the bullpen will be interesting to see because how you know has potential uh, elite upside as a bullpen option, um, and if those trade rumors around Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin are are true, you know you could easily see how sliding in. But this is uh, really important to watch that kind of starting pitcher battle there for the rotation. Charlie Morton seems obviously like he's in a more secure spot in terms of rotation, at least. Um, is this? kind of age related to you like there might just be a wainwright fall off at any point yeah i mean come on it's it's hard not to 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 imagine that yeah with charlie morin actually i think the one four three whip last year i uh, should be terrifying to everybody and we actually kind of expected morin to retire last season we didn't think that they would he would sign a two-year deal uh his only good pitch is his curveball which still has a really good icr 44 percent but his four-seamer is getting crushed. He lost a lot of his cutter. Uh, he leaned into it just 8% of the time. So it's pretty much just a curveball show. And this is becoming the Wasker Noah rule to me. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of that, he's going to get a lot of opportunity with Atlanta, which is great. Uh, pitching for Atlanta is one of the best things you can do. And that means you're going to get some wins from Morden. You still have a 25% plus strikeout rate because he has a curveball going 43% of the time. But I don't really think it gets dramatically better. I mean, sure, the walk rate probably isn't 11 to 12%. It's probably closer to like 10% or 9% even. Could fall down as low as 8 whatever. But <sighs> it's hard to really say, like, no, Charlie Martin's going to have a better year this year. Like, I can't really fathom that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a point where you can roll the dice because he has been good and we know that the team context is good, but I have the same. Um, I have similar concerns. Uh, Eric Fetty is a total unknown. Um, He was not particularly good. His last stint in the majors Um, apparently reshaped his entire arsenal when he went abroad um, and now is back with that new arsenal. Um, And that includes, I believe, a sweeper and a splitter. Yes. Um, which were both pitches that he threw in Korea that he did not throw in the majors. He was more of a changeup guy, not a splitter guy. Um, this is, I assume, kind of like a placeholder spot for you until you actually get a chance to like see what he looks yeah, like. No idea. I mean, this sounds great. Like, hey, splitter. Oh, Nick, but no, remember? He needs a whiff pitch and he has one. That's good. That's a good thing. It's a sinker that is staying low for grounders. Apparently has better uh, command now. He had like really low walk rates too. His four seamer can hit 96 now. And he's saying, well, what was it before? He was throwing a six that was 92, 93. So, that feels like it's a, a tick plus increase in velocity. Um, even if it's like 93.5, that means you could probably hit 96 or something, I guess. Um, I, look, beforehand, what we saw from Eric Fetting, this is 2022. Terrible numbers, whatever. But just to talk about the skills, 
it was that sinker that was actually only hit 36% ICR, but just mm-hmm. a 61% strike rate. And that's where the control thing comes in my head. I'm like, wait a second, how do you how do you do this? Because you had a 10% walk rate in the majors in 2022. Curveball was his best swing strike rate pitch at just 11%. And the cutter was a 9% swing strike rate for Fede. This was the last we saw him in 2022, the Nationals. I believe it was the Nationals. Don't trust the Feds. And you now have this guy with a new sweeper and splitter throwing harder and fewer walks. And that seems kind of cool. The biggest negative, honestly, is that, well, it goes both ways, is as the White Sox, and it's hard to really expect a ton of wins there. However, he's going to have as long of a leash as he wants. Yes. I mean, they're going to let him go six innings. They're going to let him just cook for whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty fun. So you have a situation where if you pick up Fede, like if it's good, then you have the road ahead. That's mm-hmm. a perfect kind of um, late round flyer just to see what this is. Yes. It's a fun and- deal. And I would even, I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens when we, we see him pitch in spring, but I would even consider him as a late round pick in a 12 team. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. For the same purpose of like, I'll throw him on the bench and I'll see. I mean, just so, I mean, we, we're trying to add context wherever we can without having watched him pitch. In Korea, um, he was 20 and six with a two ERA, a 0.95 whip, 209 strikeouts in 180 innings. That's much better than Merrill Kelly was when Merrill Kelly was in Korea. And Merrill Kelly came back and had major league success when he didn't really now, before leaving. Well, the defense was good for the, him behind him. That's better sure. than the, the White Sox. I do want to mention that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but the very good point about like he was performing better than Michaelis was and the KBO is great. And, and, Merrill, like and better than Merrill Kelly was. The, the yeah. issue is just like what he was doing was really good. We've seen other pitchers go over, have success in the KBO, come back and and have major league success. Yeah. Um, so it's not it wouldn't be out of the question, but we do need to see it. And it's important to understand also the team context is gonna be terrible so, because they're really bad. I got something fun for you though. Okay. Uh Eric Fetty, Corner Roster Resource is the SP two for the White Sox as of right now. Dylan C's being one. Okay. Mm-hmm. That means that his first two starts, because it's a series against Detroit and then Atlanta and then KCR, would be against the Tigers and then the Royals. And that's as nice and cushiony as I can really kind of hope for, for Fede to say, like, all right, if I pick him up at the end, I can actually maybe even start him for that first one against the Tigers to see how that goes. Like, that's what yeah. you want. And not to mention, it's very sneaky, uh, but you can get value that opening weekend with a guy like Fede, even if you don't hold them after it, you might be able to get some start of production and then swap him for whatever fifth starter that you actually wanted to get who hasn't started yet. Right. Right. So nobody's picking him up yet because he hasn't even done anything. And so when you could have just gotten that fifth starter and not gotten any value, now you could actually sneak a start against the Tigers just to see what happens. And that's really good. You go, you know what? I'll just hold on to him for the Royals then, you know? So, there's something fun about that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I just did a mock draft this morning and I didn't take Fed. I took DL Hall. I'm like, well, I got to take DL Hall. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And Louis Varland. I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, oh, no. What was me? But I always thought it should be what was I, but that's just me. Um, and then uh, I, but then Fed is certainly someone I think that there are going to be a lot of 12 teamers where those really fun guys get, get snatched up. And you're like, you know mm-hmm. what? I'll just take Fed then. And that seems like a fun deal. 
And that, that idea that you're saying of like, you can, Draft him early, get results from him or hold on to him and then move on to somebody else. Reminds me of another pitcher in this tier, not for the same reasons, but it's James Paxton, which oh, is yeah, right. We're assuming he's and as Nick has said many times on this podcast, we never root for injuries. Never do. We assume Paxton will not pitch a full season because unfortunately he has battled injuries for the vast majority of his career and is on a team that is more than happy to manage innings. Even though of course, Billy Epler is the only person who does that only Um, one, (laughs) the only one, but they'll manage innings. So I don't think you're rostering James Paxton all year long, but he was actually pretty good for the Red Sox last year before a few bad starts before getting hurt. I feel like, you like the team context and like the skills, and this is just like you hold him as long as he's on the mound? I mean, the team context, right? And the Dodgers are certainly going to be thinking like, great, we have someone that we can just start and not try to baby because their whole goal is not to have Paxton on the rotation in the playoffs or something. This is the perfect Dodgers signing of we need some help in the beginning so that we can get these innings and be all set so that when we have our studs ready later on, that you can just be like, yeah, you're probably going to be hurt, so it's okay. I mean, it, it, I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, I would also just ensure in the spring that Paxton isn't sitting like 93. Um, he was 95 at times 96 last year, and we would just want to make sure he has that velocity there. I do want to note with Paxton, the four-seamer got worse as the season got went on a little mm-hmm. bit last season. He was good for like 8, 10 starts or something like that, then it got worse. Uh, it was an overall 43% ICR, but the curve and cutter were both like super good at limiting hard contact, especially the cutter, 64% strike rate, which is a 28% ICR. And you're going to see on the on the pitcherless site in the next couple weeks, Striker, which uh, which Kyle Bland showcased at PitchCon, um, just one of the new PLV stats. Actually, that's not even a PLV stat. That's just the StatCast stat that we came up with. That is strike minus two times ICR rate. And we found that to be uh, more indicative of future whip performance than whip itself. Mm -hmm. Because it's the two components of whip, right? It's walk rate and the strike rate. And then you have the hit rate, which is ICR. And it's really cool. So I'm saying all this to say that if you're above 0% on your striker, uh, that means, whoa, that's really good. And just quick maths here. Um, that's an ICR rate that's under 60, obviously, because it's 20%, so 56, with a strike rate of 64. That's a plus 8% on that cutter. That's cool. That, that's really, really cool. Uh, and uh, that's a good pitch. We're ready at 47 minutes, so we're not going to go into how you actually said maths like you're from Europe. Um, yeah. But yeah, quick maths. Um, yeah. Also important to, to note for Paxton, like he really kind of started to falter after he had hit like around 60 innings, as you mentioned. He had not thrown... Uh, he had thrown a total of 21 and two thirds innings uh, since 2019. So it would make sense that he kind of ran out of gas a little bit um, as the year went on just because he hadn't really been throwing all that much. Um, so another thing to keep in mind is you might get a, another good run before, you know, the fatigue sets in or, or the injury comes. Um, there's yeah. a, another pitcher who's definitely going to get a lot of extended leash. Um, and we'll talk about him after this break. So before we get to some of the more exciting names, I did want to go to another veteran in this tier, which is uh, Lance Lynn, somebody who um, in some, if you squint at certain metrics, pitched much better than his overall stats last year, um, was still certainly getting swings and misses and strikeouts, 
but the overall results weren't great. He is now back in St. Louis. Um, are you, is there any optimism for you or is no. this, this is just, he's got a rotation spot and strikeouts and yeah, you're you know, going to get some strikeouts, but like, I don't believe in that four seamer for Lancelin. I think it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And he has a 16% swing strike rate. And, you know, will tell you that whiffs uh, are indicative or, or a product rather of location while uh, stuff is more of an indication of contact. Which makes sense because it's like the ball's zooming around. You're not going to hit it on the barrel as much, but where you locate it, it's, it's harder to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason why the four seamer has a 16% swing striker, but a terrible ICR and gets crushed a lot in a sub five PLV, which is not good. Um, the cutter can be effective, and there are rare days that all of a sudden he has his curveball working somehow. But yeah, just don't. This is not going to be good enough. Like he's going to have a couple of those starts where you really think, no, he's back, guys. I just can't do it. I just think the fastball is getting worse and worse. Sorry, Lynn. I'm I'm with you on it. Um, I if there if the Dodgers weren't able to meet make any real meaningful difference, um, I'm not sure that the Cardinals will be able to. Now, yeah. I don't necessarily think that he is you know like a five seven ERA pitcher. I think you might get something in the mid fours with some strikeouts. But I mean, I think you're maybe looking at like a four six ERA guy with good strikeouts. Um, if that's yep. what you want. I mean, that's streamable in certain matchups, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned Eno. You and him have had a very long conversation about Kyle Harrison on The Craft, um, which is a very good podcast where Eno and Nick talk about pitching. Um, it is not specific to fantasy baseball, but obviously it does kind of cross over because, you know, there's it's just a lot of discussion. Yeah, um, right. And so that is that is worth listening to. But is there anything um, you want to talk about with Kyle Harrison that kind of stemmed from that conversation? Well, first of all, thanks, buddy. I I think Kyle Harrison falls into the bucket of just, I recognize how there could be some people that are in on this and they think, oh, 7.5% wall create. And, uh, you know, he has strikeout potential and stuff. No, Mm-mm. he's not a command guy. And it's just a heater that still only had 11.5% swing strike rate in that game against the Reds. Like he didn't locate well. He, he just, there's too much missing here. The curveball is not consistent enough and good enough it's really rare to see a 42 percent icr on a curveball that's thrown as much as it is like this is a pitch that gets hit so i am very much not in on kyle harrison i just think innately he's not a command guy and also his overall electricity is not what you really want it to be either um he's going to have some games that's gonna be cool but yeah kyle harrison is that perfect example of just i don't want to deal with it Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not be in a position this year where I feel as if Kyle Harrison has just truly unlocked something different. I mean, it's possible all of a sudden I'm seeing spotting everything and whatever, but I I think I'm just going to be ugh, Kyle Harrison all year. And I've purposefully ranked them lower because of that. Um, I mean, you see inside this tier two, it's like there's Ricky Tiedemann. There's also like Trevor Rogers. Yeah. Um, these kind of similar ideas. Uh, Reese Olsen's more so just about opportunity. Right. That, I don't know if that's going to change though, maybe because of Mize or I don't know. Well, see. that's what I was kind of, I looked at the, that last grouping for me was Rogers, Tiedem and Olsen and Whitlock because they are all guys who it's like, are they going to start is the yeah. first big question. And right. then after that, it comes down to like, okay, what is your confidence level if they have yeah. the job? Um, let's say all four of them are in the rotation, which again, mm-hmm is not necessarily going to be the case. Right. But which of them, just from a, a pure just talent pitcher standpoint, 
do you have the most confidence in? Uh, I mean, it's got to be Tiedemann. Um, but it's, I ah, mean, I just really don't feel, I mean, we were talking about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the guy that really should be ranked here, Eric? It's it's Bowden Francis. Yeah. Is it Bowden, Bowden? Bowden? I don't know. It's B-O-W-D-E-N. Um, yeah, it's Bo- I'm just doing the same. It's Bowden, like the, like the college, it but it's be. not. I mean, Bowden's I'll, not. I'll look up baseball reference and you can chat yeah. about. Um, yeah, I had someone on my college baseball team say Bowdoin, and we were all like, oh, no, buddy. I don't think that's Oh, no. Um, but uh, but Tiedemann. Uh, Bowden. It's Bowden. Bowden. Okay. Bowden Francis. Beautiful. Uh, Tiedemann is someone who I think the Jays are just going to kind of be slow on. Um, and also, I wasn't that impressed with things. Um, I don't know also how fast his heater actually is because I saw him go like 99 last year. I was like, oh, my gosh, he's the truth. That was in spring training, but he actually likes this 95. Okay, never mind. Um, is he a real control guy or not? He's dealt with injuries already. It, it just feels too cherry bomb esque. Um, but we talked about Tiedemann on previous podcasts, and you were very, you made a really good argument being like, look, you got to like take a shot on this. I'm like, all right, fair enough. Okay. So that's why he's above Kyle Harrison because Kyle Harrison, I'm like, yeah, I've witnessed this at least, and I don't really buy into it. Trevor Rogers, we've seen success from before. Who knows? He's been through so much. I don't know. He like, plays with Legos now. That's right. That's oh, is that it? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he needed something to like, he needed a hobby for the mental component of his yeah. game. And yeah. he loves Legos now. That's awesome. Uh, Reese Olsen, I actually talked about a lot with, um, with, you know, as well as we talked about all the Tigers. And I, I think that there's something real there with his slider and his uh, changeup. Uh, the sinker, I think he uses really, really well to get inside or righties. The biggest question I have is, well, that four seamer, can you actually get that inside to lefties and be effective? Because right now it's a terrible, terrible four seamer. I mean, you really should just not throw it. But the thing is, he doesn't have anything else to replace it against a lefty. You know, a slider changeup isn't enough. The sinker shouldn't be thrown against them. So he has to figure that aspect out. But otherwise, I kind of dig Reese Olsen. And then Garrett mm-hmm. Whitlock, as we've talked about, yeah. Um, plenty we can obviously do some more quickly here is if you can command that sinker effectively, he has a change of Messiah that has earned whiffs consistently. Uh, it's just about establishing a good enough sinker in the first place. And of course, getting the opportunities, he hasn't pitched over 80 innings in ever. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, in the, yeah, in the minor leagues, but yes, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. Um, I, I'm Eno's conversation with you about the, it making sense that the Tigers, start Casey Mize on the IL has me a little more optimistic on Reese Olsen because I didn't think he was going to get a spot at the start yeah, of spring training. And, and now I see the logic in letting him kind of get a start and see where it goes. Right. You know me and and my belief in, in Whitlock. Um, I think the slider is going to be a key component for him as well. We talked about how he had a new slider last year, but then was hurt and was just like not really pitching consistently. And so the command of that slider was a mess. And so I'm I'm optimistic or I'm curious to see if an offseason um with that pitch again, another offseason makes that a little bit more consistent because I would like that sinker sweeper combo that he has. Um does it matter to you? We talked about this also on Twitter, and we'll move to this last group. Does it matter to you that Ricky Tiedemann put on twenty pounds of muscle? Like is that a storyline? Yeah, the last time I heard that was Noah Syndergaard. So I uh, it doesn't. I mean I I do absolutely talk about 
like Tristan McKenzie saying, hey, you add muscle that adds stability and consistency. It's very possible that that does. If it's lower half, uh, that actually can help a ton to just allow yourself to be consistent. I mean, I think Carlos Rodon gained a lot of weight is what someone was saying yeah. in the comments too. That was me. Um, oh, it was you. That was me that talking was you. to you. Yeah. Carlos Rodon in, in the year with the White Sox board, but where he was his first like great year. Um, I was watching those early spring training starts with uh, my buddy, Sammy Ackley, who used to record the catcher's corner with me. Oh, and yeah. We, were, we yeah, were, awesome. were both like, we were both like, he's bigger. Like his lower half is bigger yeah and then they, all the stories started coming out and also you just realized i mean you know this as a pitcher too that when your lower half is stronger it gives you just a much better foundation foundational yeah, base much and pitchers who have dealt with arm injuries sometimes it's counterintuitive but a stronger lower half can also put less strain on your arm and so i think that that was i don't know that that was a big reason but i don't think it's a coincidence that rodan had two great years after he got hit much stronger in the lower half. And so we could see a run of health from Tiedemann because of that. But it's also important to note that he threw just 62 innings last year and the Blue Jays have already said he's on an innings limit. And he's still so, a slinger. Right. So maybe he gets to 100 this year. And then it's where do they use those yeah, sure. 100? When does it come? Yeah. Um, and so that's a risk. Yeah. We'll see. But we know that barring anything in spring training, he should definitely pitch this year. Um, and there are some questions about tier 13 and whether some of these guys are going to pitch. Um, so this tier is called the only IL stashes to consider. Um, so that I think says everything. It's starting pitcher number 96, Jacob DeGrom, number 97, Max Scherzer, number 98, Drew Rasmussen, number 99, Robbie Ray, number 100, Clayton Kershaw, and number 101. You have to listen to the next podcast to hear who that is. Uh, so who? Uh, what is this tier called and why? This tier is called oh man, um, uh, there are there's always tomorrow. Mm, I like that, and uh, it's yeah, it's not good right now, but you know tomorrow is what you're looking at, and uh, it's it's what you are stashing these guys for. I am very vocal about not trying to il stash in your drafts. I uh, sure scooble can happen. That was a nice thing. But the thing is, if, if you were actually like holding on to that in like May or so yeah. and you had a full roster, like, yeah, you got like 80 innings out of it. Well, whatever it was. But was that really worth it? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's crucial to your good. to your league settings, right? Like how yeah. many IL spots do you have? Can you start the year with a guy on your IL? Sure. If you have four or five IL spots, like go for it. But, yeah. you know, those injuries are going to build up and you yeah. may not want to hold that guy. Um, and you also need to, you know, think if you're also obviously in NFBC formats where there's no IL, unless you're in some a draft and hold, like you're not taking guys like this. Um, uh, but they're all really, really, um, talented pitchers. Is there anybody here that you want to talk about in terms of like why you might be more inclined to stash them than others? Or is this like, you got to list these I mean, guys because they're good. Yeah, You know, it's the Grom. So like the Grom in a head to head, I actually really understand because that could really be an impact for you in September. I get that. Um, like that actually could push the needle when you need it. So fine. I uh, Scherzer maybe, but then again, we don't really know Scherzer. So fine. I like, I don't have as much faith in Scherzer giving you good September numbers. Drew Rasmussen will come back sooner because it's a hybrid surgery. So he's actually expected back more so in July. 
Uh, I was very tepid on Rasmussen for ages, but oh my gosh, 36% usage last year. His ICR was just 26% on that pitch. That's ridiculous. Uh, the others actually is kind of surprising. Four seamer and slider are both above 42%, but um, that's such a good cutter. And it's why he's had such low hit per nines in the past. Yeah, he's really good. It's like that's your scooble for the year to me is Rasmussen. It's just okay. I are are you are it? you not worried that he's had he had a Tommy John surgery previously? Oh, that sure. But I'm talking about for like 80 innings. Right. Okay. I'm not talking about for a full year. Uh, uh, I imagine like if he's coming back, like he's going to be fine. I mean, it's also going to be the Rays are going to limit him to five innings or so. Right. Again, I want to reiterate that I'd be so surprised that anyone that has these IL stashes are not going to be pushed to making a decision sometime mm-hmm. before they return. And that's always the hard part is don't think really, this is something I've been trying to do myself as much as possible. Do not think about the future nearly as much as we do. Okay. Everything gets thrown out of the window when we talk about 150 innings versus 180 or whatever. The season begins and all of a sudden it's chaos. And you're thrilled that you got your 150 from somebody, you know? So don't think about the future. Just get value now as much as you can. And uh, yeah, get that Fede start instead of Rasmussen. (laughs) Can I ask? uh, He's not on this list, but I'm curious why you're more confident in Rasmussen than Jeffrey Springs, who I know has Tommy John. John, It's more expected, from my understanding, later than Rasmussen. But he, yeah. that was my that's, my understanding is that we don't know yeah. if he's going to see it at all this year. That's fourteen had, to sixteen months. Yeah, he had surgery earlier. Yeah, like a month or but, two earlier, but yeah. like that's fourteen to sixteen. While this was like, hey, cool July, um, which is why. I, I mean, I, I think we might see springs maybe in September. Yeah, you know, this is this says I'm looking right now. Is that the the um, it was May? On, on, it was yeah. July or August was For what. Spring. For Springs. Oh, yeah. yeah there's so, no way. But no, so July, August is when they expect him to return. Oh, not according to According to that, Mark yeah. Topkin, who covers the, the okay. Rays, um, said, oh, actually, Rasmussen after that. What? Yeah. Uh, rehabbing pitches are doing well. Looking at Springs returning July, August, Rasmussen after that. What? Boz has completed rehab. Issue is lack of past workload, so we'll be on a slow buildup coming out of spring. Oh man! Oh yeah, the whole Boz thing, by the way, guys. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. <laughs> um, I mean, that's so, like, the, that's the, I don't understand the Boz one whatsoever. I can rant I a long time about that. That just drives me up the wall. Uh, that will be what eighteen months removed, if not more. Right. By the time the season rolls around, and it's just like, it's like no. Ugh. Um, so, so yeah, drop him far down. Pretty much put Boz down here now. Uh, so if Springs, days. if Springs is July or August, and Rasmussen is sometime after that, yeah, Springs because it has Rasmussen now. Yeah, and you're looking at Rasmussen. Time was that Rasmussen was July and Springs would be August September. So and you're looking at Rasmussen maybe in August, which is also like what they said about Kershaw, who you have in this tier. It's like Kershaw well, yeah, was maybe Kershaw, August. Right. Kershaw like, should be back down to the other one. I mean, he said yeah. August-ish, and it's a capsule. Like, right. Eno said it. It's just, yeah, that you're not returning this year, Kershaw. Right. I kind of feel like I'm I'm in that boat with Rasmussen, too, where it's like, if that's if we're getting maybe August, that's that's tough. Um, Robbie August. Ray, 
Robbie Way, Robbie Ray feels like summer at some point is a decent bet for him. Scherzer, you know, I think, you know, again, summer. Um, but I'm I'm kind of with you on it. It's like I would take the stab on DeGrom here because DeGrom's he's already throwing. If you get yeah. 30 innings out of him, fine. But it's specifically for a head-to-head. Roto just sure. doesn't matter. Head-to-head because it's September, and hopefully the Rangers are competitive, and they'll be making sure that he's ready to go. And those will be good September innings because on a per-start basis, it's just DeGrom is always productive. Mm-hmm. It's not like the uh, these other guys that could obviously like hurt you. Like no, Degrom starts; it's good for you. So you'll want him in September. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. I will. I will just also put out a uh, if you are in you know keeper leagues, things like that. These are names to keep an eye on. Just some sometimes it's a sure. good draft strategy to be like, oh, I'll you know draft him at the end or near the end of my draft, and I can keep him for next year. Um, so yeah. all league Let's- types. You know, there's different value for all. And let's guys. just do a favorite, everybody. 101 is Dustin May um, because it's oh. the same conversation. It's the same conversation. That's true. I'm sorry. Um, I, had I did actually, I did take him at the end of a draft and hold for basically the exact purpose. I was like, you know, sure. He he feels um, like he might. He seems to be a better bet to come back earlier than some of these other guys. Um, I was actually reading that Dustin May is kind of like a could be a June Return. Oh wow! I mean, I, I based all of this on like fourteen to sixteen months. So, right. Dustin May, I think, was a May, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, Tommy John. So I think it was May at least, or maybe it was like end of April. I uh, but so I was like, cool, like July, August once again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you never know. I mean, the, the sad thing is that you don't see Sandy Alcantara on this list. So. I know, and Brandon Woodruff, oh. and just so many other other guys. Yeah, but Sandy. Yeah, it's you, Sandy. You, you do love Sandy. I was never as bullish. Not that you know. How dare you? We never we ever want this to to happen. Um, but yeah, I wasn't as bullish on him. Um, and it's then crazy. obviously Dustin May has some potential bullpen. Um, well, I mean the Dodgers are red flag. It's like if he comes like, back, they could use him. Yeah, it seems guy. like the Dodgers are going to. I don't know. Like, there's always weird things with the Dodgers. They'll they'll find a spot for him. Yeah. Anything to add on any of these guys before we take this episode? Just that you did a great job. Wire? You know, this is Thanks. wonderful. I apologize. <laughs> we got off the rails there at the beginning a little bit. You know, I mean, that's, that's the John traditional Mead. on the corner, baby. Let's go. That's true. Um, so we have now finished the top 100 and 101 because Nick decided to give you um, just a little sneak preview. Uh, we are going to continue uh, through at least the top 150. Um, and then we might sprinkle in just some of the interesting names beyond that. And then as we talked about, we're going to go back um, you know, in the coming weeks and we will redo our top 100. Um, so that is it for us here on The Corner. Uh, I am Eric Smolsky, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And we will check you on the next episode of On the Corner.